Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode. It is with Sarah Knight, who you probably know from the No F's Given Guide series. So her first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving an F, was an absolute bestseller and I know many of you read and loved that book. Well, she is back with a new book called F No, How to Stop Saying Yes When You Can't, You Shouldn't, or You Just Don't Want To. God, who relates? How many times have I said yes to something when really what I wanted to say was no? Well, that is what this whole episode is about. It's about the power of no, why we find it so hard to do, which is partly conditioning and partly societal, and yet why it is so important to protect our time, our energy and our sanity, especially around this time of year. Don't you just find there are so many invitations to do so many things and I think if we said yes to all of it we would end up a big crumpled heap on the floor by the time it got to Christmas day so I'm super excited to put this episode out a couple of weeks before Christmas because I'm hoping that it is going to help you claw back some time some energy and some sanity so I hope you really enjoy it we talk loads of tips strategies techniques so I wanted to make this episode really practical and I think we've achieved that so I hope it is very very helpful I have also managed to bag us five copies of the book so if you head over to insta today or in the next week or so the competition will be running there and you can enter to win a copy of the book and of course there is lots of swearing in this episode so if you are listening with little people around just be aware of that before we go on to the episode just a reminder that my freedom from perfectionism course is now live so if you feel guilty if you feel not enough if you feel like you are running yourself ragged over this Christmas period this course is going to help you I think it's going to help you be calmer kinder to yourself it's really aligned with this episode actually it's going to help you say no more it's going to help you take your energy back and just learn not to sweat the small stuff as much. So I'm giving you 10% off as I love my podcast listeners. So if you use the code MOTHERKIND10, the course is just £54. And I also, for everyone that I sell, I give one away to a mum who could never afford it via some charity partners. So please do check that out. It's all on my website. And here is this week's episode. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to be chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me. And most people listening will know of you certainly from your first book, which just had a massive impact here in the UK, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. And I loved it. I love, love, loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And I've actually read every book you've written since. So I'm a bit of a fan over here. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. I was sent your new book last night about saying no. And I think this book is so needed right now. It feels very of the moment to me. 
And you say in the introduction, what the world needs now is no, sweet no. And I just love that. I can't say that without singing the song in my head. (laughs) The idea. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was wondering why this book and why do you think what the world needs right now is more no, sweet no? Well, as I've been writing what what have come to be known as the no fucks given guides, each one of them has felt sort of in the moment. And I don't know if that's true or if it's because actually we all need all of them at all times. But in terms of the new book, Fuck No, How to Stop Saying Yes When You Can't, You Shouldn't, or You Just Don't Want To, I felt like it was a really natural bookend to the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. It was the kind of thing where people who've read my first book have often followed up with me. Okay, I get it. You're telling me it's all right to say no. It's okay. I'm allowed. But how do I do it? So I thought, well, why don't I devote an entire book to how you do it? And the title of the introduction is a little bit of a wink to the fact that no doesn't have to be nasty or cruel or rude. Um, It doesn't have to make you a jerk or in the parlance of my books, an asshole. It can be a sweet no. It can just be an everybody gets to feel good about this no. And so I spend the majority of the book explaining how to do that with a few, you know, little detours into maybe being a little less nice if necessary. Yeah. And I appreciated some of those as well. We're going to get into those. I love that you say that this book is really about bridging the gap, as you say, between knowing that we want to say no, which is often for a lot of us, a big journey. I'm a recovering people pleaser and I know you are Mm -hmm. too. So there's the knowing we want to say no. And then there's the actually being able to get it out your mouth. And then once we've said it, declined it, it's then not having that raging guilt. And I love how much you go into that. So we're going to get into all of that. So why do you think that we need to say no more? What are some of the benefits that you've got from saying no more? I just feel like we're all so overcommitted, you know, whether it's physically, literally with events and tasks and obligations of that nature, or just emotionally and psychically overcommitted, worrying about too many things, having to stay on top of too much. And it's just no way to live your life. And I'm 41 years old, and it probably took me about 31 years before I really started feeling the burn of my people pleasing, overachieving, overcommitted nature. Another few years of panic attacks and that type of thing before I was able to get a handle on it. And now I'm in this phase where I've realized it's okay to say no. I figured out how to say it. And most importantly, and I talk about this in the book, I have not experienced negative consequences <laughs> of doing so. And I think one of the biggest impediments to saying no and having a manageable load on your mental and your physical to-do list is this self-imposed idea that it's not okay and that there are going to be terrible consequences. And when people just try it, they go, oh, that wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Nobody was angry at me, you know? (laughs) And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because so often I think, you know, I know that my mum and dad, I rarely saw them modeling saying no or putting themselves first or so I didn't get taught this growing up it was not something that was in my boundaries were not in my lexicon I didn't know about that so as you say I you know I very much the same as you had this view that if you're a nice person you say yes when you're asked to something exactly the thing is what I try to ask my readers to think about is how would you want somebody to respond to your invitation you're making a friendly invitation But if they don't want to come or if they can't, do you want to pressure them into it? 
No, if you're a nice person, you don't want to do that. So you should think about it in terms of what other people are probably thinking. For example, wedding invitations. My wedding invitations went out. Some people couldn't come. I didn't give them a hard time about it. It's like, okay, this is a day of the year that you're not available. I get that. Yeah. No hard feelings. I just think it's important to just remember that you're not in this bubble of self-inflicted guilt and obligation that probably the person on the other end will be understanding. Yeah. And I always think, you know, my recovery from people pleasing, I always think I would be so mortified if someone was at lunch with me who didn't really want to be there because they were actually too busy. And yet I've done that. I've said yes to lunches and coffees and when actually I don't want to be there. My mind is half in the thing that I think I should be doing rather than actually being sat with that person. So that concept definitely helps me. So something that's quite early on in the book that I love is you help to break down why we find it so hard to say yes. And you talk about these four archetypes, the people pleaser, the overachiever, the pushover and the FOMOer. And then there's a little quiz in the book, which is fantastic, which people will be able to do when they get it. But can you just explain, first of all, why we say yes so easily and then how understanding these four archetypes can help us? Well, I think that people, they're just conditioned, generally speaking, to say yes, to be accommodating, to be nice, to be helpful. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I want to make sure that people don't hear me talking about fuck no and think of it as me giving a giant middle finger to polite society. That's not what it is. It's identifying why you say yes. And it's usually, well, sometimes it's because you want to, but the premise of the book is that for the times when you're saying yes, when you really want to say no, why are you doing it? Why is that instinct there? And for somebody like me, who is a recovering people pleaser and overachiever, I might be doing it because I don't want to let somebody down. I might be doing it because I'm sort of constitutionally incapable of doing a bad job. I might be doing it because I think I'm the only one who will do it well. (laughs) And then for people who are pushovers, you know, I don't identify as a pushover. But some people just don't like conflict. They're very conflict averse. They don't want to make waves. They just say yes because they figure it's easier to say yes than it is difficult to do whatever the thing is they've been asked to do. And it often turns out that that's not the case. And then FOMO is fear of missing out. And people who experience FOMO say yes when they want to say no because they're afraid of the consequences. If they don't show up to the party, is everybody going to be having fun without them? Or if they say no to the job offer, are they going to regret it later? So they're really ruled by fear and regret. So those four archetypes are what I use as a guide throughout the book. And there's a quiz so that people can figure out which one they are. Hint, you're probably multiple of them all at the same time. (laughs) And then ways in which you can batten down your own hatches and protect yourself against some of your more natural inclinations to say yes when you want to say no. And do you see with people that have done this quiz, because obviously you must have taken lots of people through it, and do we tend to have more people pleasers out there than FOMOs, or is it just completely a mix? It is completely a mix. All of the people who have taken this quiz, I was actually surprised 
there weren't as many people who identified as pushovers. And I know you said you've read all my books, so you're familiar with my chipmunks and get your shit together. Yes. And most people who are Theodores don't admit that they are Theodores. They don't really know. And that's part of their Theodoreness. So I feel like there's probably more pushovers out there, but they just aren't quite ready to admit that they're pushovers. But for the most part, it's a pretty equal dispersal of the other types. So let's get into it because I know everyone listening is going to be like, just tell us how to say no. And you have in the book, you've broken down into the types of no. Can you take Mm -hmm. us through those? So it might be really helpful to give an example. You know, mums, I think we get asked on play dates, for example, oh, would you like to come to play? How do you politely, without being ostracized from the school gates, say no to something like that? So I have a few different no's, and one of them is just the hard no, which, you know, it doesn't have to be delivered in a hard manner, meaning a rude manner, but it's just, no, I can't make it. No, that's not going to be possible. No, I'm sorry, I'm not available. Very simple, doesn't require a lot of reasons. I I go into that in the book that you're really not obligated to give your reasons beyond I can't, I shouldn't, or I don't want to. But there's also a really good one, which I call the no for now. And that's something that I use a lot when I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or I really do want to do something with and for them, just not on the timeline or in the specific manner that they've approached me with. And that's useful at work. And it's also useful with, you know, mothers and playdates. They don't want to alienate this other parent or they're just really, really busy this week, but they would love to spend some time with this other parent and their child or encourage a friendship between their children. So you can say, I'm not available for what you've requested, but how about and give an alternate option? And that's what I call the no for now. And I find that that one is in particular really good for people who are nervous about saying no. You just understand that it's okay to say no for now and yes on your terms at a later date. I've done a few no for nows when I've been nervous about really saying no. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I've done a bit like, oh no, not I can't right now, but actually that'd be great in a month when really I've wanted to say, I'm just not available for that. So <laughs> you're just kicking the can down. I'm just kicking the can down the road. <laughs> exactly. You know, to be honest, that's a perfectly fine strategy with, you know, the kind of people who only ask you to do something once or twice a year, you can just kind of keep kicking that can and eventually they're going to stop asking. And that's fine. You know, that's how we figure out who we really are and the people we really want to have in our lives and whether it's okay to ask people for things. I understand that a lot of people don't like the confrontation of saying no. And I'm hopeful that in the course of the book, I've given literally hundreds of ways to do it in a non-confrontational, polite, zippy, funny, easy way. But I do understand that that can feel a little intimidating. And I love this phrase that you use, which is say what you mean, but don't say it mean. It's just so helpful because as you say, this isn't about, you know, there's that thing that goes around Instagram, isn't it? Which is no is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought, God, I don't think I've ever met anyone who just says no and walks away. Yeah, I'm getting better at it. Are you? So you you can just say no and walk away. Yeah. Wow. I can. I mean, it's not appropriate in every instance, but I've gotten to the point where I'll just say no. (laughs) And then that's the end of the conversation. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. (laughs) You know, there's a part in the book where I talk about, you know, how basically the aftermath and how to be confident in the no after you say it, if somebody kind of pushes back, which people do. I mean, it's not wrong or unusual for somebody to say, oh, you really can't make it. Are you sure? But you have to consider that in terms of they're just 
pushing because maybe they'll get what they want. And you're also allowed to push back and say what you don't want. And usually the conversation just plays out in one or two of those back and forths. Are you sure you really can't come? Yeah, I really can't. Well, that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> you know, yeah. there, there isn't really more to say. Because what I see, I don't do this so much anymore, but what I used to do a lot of was I would be able to say, that doesn't work for me. But then I would go into this long, rambling explanation of why. Mm. And I love that in the book where you talk about being clear and concise with our language and boundaries with our language, don't you? Yeah, I think that, first of all, there's a temptation to lie or to embellish the reason why you can't go. And then you get caught in that. And it's even worse. In the end, you have to keep a mental calendar of the reasons you said you couldn't come and then the real reasons you can't come. And then expect to keep them all foremost in your mind whenever you're talking to this person who's invited you to something that you don't want to do. But also just generally, I think, Over the course of the book, I make it clear that the idea is to not only be comfortable saying no, but also be comfortable taking it for an answer, your own self. And part of that is to be aware that it is okay to say no as a complete sentence or no, I'm not available. And you have to be able to hear that from other people too. So the more you put it out into the world, the more likely that other people are going to mirror it back to you. And it's just going to become a much easier existence for all of us. Mm, Such a good point. That's such a good point. I hadn't thought of it. It is clearly in that way as you're saying it, which is that, yeah, because it can be triggering, can't it? When we invite someone or we say, do you want to come to my, I think you say, there's an example in the book, do you want to come to my dog's birthday party? (laughs) 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 and someone just says no I can find that quite triggering for sure but I love what you're saying which is actually that's that person respecting you respecting their time and then in a way that models and gives us the freedom to then be able to go and put that energy out into the world I love that cyclical idea I love the people who can just say no to me in a timely fashion. The friends of mine who are my favorite people are the ones who can make a decision and say yes or no and follow through on it. I don't love the people who hem and haw and say they're going to come and cancel at the last minute and do that 10 times. And then I think, if you really didn't want to come, just say no. I'm planning something here and I need to know what the numbers are, whatever it is. I just really respect somebody who can say yes or no and then go on with their life. Yes. And it's like Brené Brown says, clear is kind. And I Mm -hmm. always remember that. I'm actually being really kind to the other person when I can just say, as you say, no, that doesn't work for me as quickly as possible. I want to talk to you about guilt because something that I see a lot in my clients that I work with is we'll work on boundaries and I'll get them setting some boundaries that maybe they've never done before, but they will say the guilt of saying no to their, you know, whatever it might be, half cousins christening or, you know, something Mm -hmm. that they just don't want to go to. They will say that they feel ravaged with guilt. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who's able to know they don't want to go? They're able to say they don't want to go, but then they're spending the next week ruminating on how terrible they feel. Well, I ask four questions and well, it's two questions with two parts each. Is your guilt warranted or unwarranted? And by warranted, I mean, are you doing something or contemplating doing something really objectively bad? And if the answer is not going to a christening, I don't count that as objectively bad. If the answer is formulating an anti-Catholic protest outside the church where your cousin is having their child's christening, that's objectively bad. Don't do that. Like, you know, don't be an (laughs) asshole. So if we've gotten to the point where, you know, your guilt is unwarranted because you really have done nothing objectively wrong, 
then the question is, is this purely self-imposed or is it the result of outside pressure? And in most people's case, and I said earlier in this interview, they are imposing guilt on themselves before they've even tried to say no, before anybody has reacted to their no, because nobody knows they're going to say no. (laughs) They have thought about saying no, and they have started to feel extremely guilty. And what I would say is, you know, you have to ignore those whispers that are coming from inside your own head and try it and say the no. And 75% of the time, it's going to be fine. And then 25% of the time, there are going to be people who give you a hard time about it. And I give really specific examples in the book about what you can say to those people and how you can react. The point is, if you have done nothing wrong or you are contemplating doing something that is not objectively wrong, then don't let yourself get tied up in this self-imposed guilt about it. Give it a shot. Say no. Give a reason. Don't give a reason. Most people will let it go because, you know, as I say in the book, I have learned over the last five years since I wrote The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck and have really been much more careful about spending my fuck budget on things that I care about and not spending it on things that I don't. Most people don't really care nearly as much about how I live my life as I thought they would. (laughs) It's really true. You know, people are not spending their time thinking about whether you're going to a party. Yeah, it's so true. We're just not that important, right? (laughs) We really aren't. You have to kind of decide that you are not the center of most people's universe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think just on this christening vein, christenings, weddings, birthday parties, particularly around family, I see this coming a lot with people that I speak to and work with. Mm -hmm. Can you help us? Because I love that when you talk about being actually obligated versus feeling obligated. How on earth do we untangle that web? How do we know when we actually have to go to something to be like a nice, decent human? And how do we know when we're just feeling that obligation? Because that can be tricky if you've been a people pleaser all your life to untangle those two. So I have a whole section entitled, Do I Really Have To? And it's because, you know, I I have these questions, must I, should I, will I? And To me, if you're talking about obligation, you have got to boil it down to its essence, which is a literal obligation. Like you have to show up at your job in order to receive your paycheck. You are obligated to do that. All of these other things that people tend to think of, they have a sense of obligation, particularly when it comes to family, turn out to not actually be obligations. You have choice. Now, depending on what kind of family you come from and what your relationships are with those people, it could feel more like a, well, I should anyway. Even if I don't have to and I don't want to, I should because. I should because, and I use the measure of it helps say it's my sister. I don't have a sister. So this is a good example. I'm not offending anybody by saying it. I don't have a sister, but say her kid was having a christening and I, I'm not obligated to go because what am I getting paid to go to a christening? No, I'm not obligated. And I don't want to, but I should, because it hurts her more for me to say no than it hurts me to have to go. So that's sort of the measure. I talk about that in all my books with regard to being selfish. As long as your decision is helping you more than it's hurting somebody else. I don't consider that a bad, selfish decision. Take that a step further. Maybe my sister's being unreasonable for that to hurt her so much that I wouldn't come to a christening. Maybe she knows I'm not religious and that it makes me uncomfortable to go spend some time in church indoctrinating a baby into the ways of a of a religion that I don't feel comfortable with. You know, there's all these other reasons that individual people have 
for doing and not doing the things that they do and don't want to do. And that's where other lessons of fuck no come into play, which is, you know, are you doing something objectively bad or not? Is this guilt self-inflicted or not? Is it a true obligation or not? And where does that level of, well, I should do it anyway versus, you know what? I shouldn't have to do this come in. And you probably don't have this because I just created it, but there's a flow chart that comes in this book, just like all my other books. And it really walks you through this particular situation of, do I really have to do this? And it asks you all of these questions. So hopefully it'll be a really good tool for people when they're trying to make those slightly thornier obligation-based decisions. Yeah, because I think this is such an important area because I know it's something that a lot of mums grapple with because I think it's relatively easy. Mum at the school gate, you know, do you want to come on a play date? To some extent, we can do that. It's often this family stuff, as you say, that can start to get really tricky, particularly if you've got an enmeshed family or a family where no one's ever put down boundaries before like that. It can feel really challenging and I think that it sounds like like you're right I haven't seen that flow chart it wasn't in the copy but it sounds like that's going to be really helpful because I know that my mind might play tricks on me around this because mm-hmm. it, it might say well actually because I avoid conflict I'm a conflict avoider so mm-hmm. I'm quite likely to say well it would hurt me less than it would to say no to that but that I could use that as a little get out knowing myself. It's helpful to actually have the conversation with your family member. Again, it's possible that they'll be like, okay, I understand. Thanks for letting me know. And if they don't, and they really want to give you a hard time about it, you can say, what I'm hearing you say is that you would like me to be somewhere that you know, I don't want to be. Is that true? And they might say, oh, you know what? Yeah. Okay. I hear you. It's fine. I understand. They might give you a really big guilt trip. You might decide that it's worth it to you to cave. But the premise of the book is that you're allowed to decide that it is not worth it. You're allowed to decide that doing what you want and not doing what you don't want is a perfectly fine way to live your life and that there's nothing wrong with that and be comfortable being that person. And you might have to weather a little bit of passive aggressive commentary and you might have to weather a little bit of FOMO. You know, I talk in the book about how to kind of get over that both in a professional context and in a fun context, but you're still going to have a little bit of it, but you just have to be comfortable in who you are and confident in the decisions that you've made. And if they turn out to be the wrong decisions, you can make them differently next time. Every invitation we say no to is not the last invitation we will ever receive. You can, uh, you know, change your tune as things go on. Yeah. And that's that fear-based thinking, isn't it? Which is like, if Mm -hmm. I say no to this, I'm never going to get asked again, which is, as you say, just fear-based. It's totally not the reality. So I think we've done a great job of explaining why we need to say no and how to do it. And what are some of the big benefits that you've experienced, that you've seen your readers experience, who've put these methods into place? What starts to happen when you say no more? So for me, very specifically in terms of saying no to taking on too many responsibilities, both work obligations and social obligations, it has freed me up. I'm still a busy person. I still have a lot going on. You know, I'm writing these books and I'm traveling and I'm making time for my husband and my friends and my family, but not over committing, habitually over committing as I did for 30 plus years has just made me an overall calmer, happier person, prioritizing my need for sleep, prioritizing my need for downtime. You know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be sleeping, but just knowing that I am the type of person who requires time to myself to recharge after 
for example, traveling to do a speaking engagement or something, I need to know that I have set some boundaries when I get back that I don't do anything for half a day. I don't answer emails. I don't go out to lunch with my friends because I just need to recharge. And so for me, saying no has just opened up and made better the free time that I do have. Another thing is that it helps people gain confidence in who they really are and realize that it's okay to be a person who doesn't want to go to working lunches. For my old job, I used to feel really pressured to go on these, what turned into sort of 90 minute to two hour one-on-one theater performances in order to schmooze with literary agents. I was a book editor and so they would send me their clients and I felt like I needed to do this, but it also felt like such a waste of my day when I really wanted to be at my desk doing two hours worth of work that I had to accomplish that day. And over time, I just stopped going on lunches. I just started saying no, and it didn't hurt my business. I still got great projects. I still published fantastic books. I was just an editor who probably went out to lunch once a week instead of five days a week, and that was okay. So again, I would you know encourage people to try it, to try saying no to the thing that they don't want to do and experience that little shot of benefit. And then you get excited about it and you want to do it some more. So, you know, I think that the benefits to saying no are that you can trim away a lot of the excess things that you didn't really want to be doing in the first place. And also you become more sure of and more confident in who you are and what you do like and what you don't like. And then you can live the rest of your life as that person. (laughs) You know, you might have 10, 20, 30, 40 more years to be a person who says no and has a better life. And that seems worth it to me. And it feels good, right? Like I know when I do this and I am in recovery from this, so I, you know, I'm pretty good at boundaries and saying no. Generally, it just feels good. I feel really empowered like you say, it's all those benefits, but also my esteem rises. I actually found that when I was saying yes, when I meant to say no, my esteem would take a massive kick every time I did Because that. it makes you feel weak. Yes. Disem- and you don't want to be a weak person Disem- or Disem- in disempowered. my push over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And what about your anxiety? Because you talk quite openly in your books and you mentioned at the top of the interview about panic attacks. And how's that today, putting these methods into your life? I've gotten much, much better over the course of the last several years. And my last book, that's the most current one that's out on the shelves now, is called Calm the Fuck Down. And it's entirely about anxiety and stress and problem solving. And I think writing that book sent me into my final stage of, uh, I wouldn't say conquering my anxiety because it will never be conquered, but really learning how to manage it. And I'm a person now who makes decisions and doesn't allow myself to second guess them. Some people can never get through the decision-making. And that's what gives them the anxiety. For me, I would make the decision and then I would worry about it after the fact. So I've gotten to a point now in my life where I really don't worry about decisions after the fact. Um, And that has helped me decrease my anxiety. And part of it is what I said earlier, which is like, if it turns out to have been the wrong one, I will just make adjustments next time I have the opportunity rather than drive myself crazy about what if it was the wrong one. So for me, I think that saying no has made me feel more confident. It has made people respect my game. (laughs) You know, I can't tell you how many people, friends and strangers and family members and in-laws have said to me like, God, I wish I could say no like you. Well, Soon, once you read Fuck No, (laughs) you too will be able to say confident, easy, 
non-confrontational, not rude no's, and then be the no that you want to hear in the world. Go out there and do it your own self. And I have to say, I relate to everything that you're saying, particularly around the decision making. I used to think that there was a right decision, even for what to have for dinner. Or I'd be that person in the restaurant where I'd order and then I'd change my order five minutes later. And just as you're describing, what really helped me the same was just knowing, no, I'll just get a different set of experiences. And it's like an experiment, isn't it? Did I like that set of experiences that I got? If not, I'll tweak it next time. And that's been quite a game changer for me as well. Just to start finishing up, something else that I love that you talk about in this book is the benefit of saying no for others in your life. And I was thinking Mm -hmm. about that in terms of children. Because something that I see, you know, I live in London, there's a lot going on all the time. I see mums that can't say no, that are saying yes. And then their children are doing like five birthday parties a day. Or can you talk to us about that, about when we can get this right, how it can have a massive positive impact on other people around us too, on their energy, particularly when they're children. And actually they don't have a chance always to say yes or no. We're making those decisions for them. Yeah. And, you know, just like any other behavior that a parent can exhibit that can adversely affect their child, such as anxiety, I do think, and I want to just preface this so that you don't get any hate mail for it. I am not a mother. I am very clear about this in all of my books. I understand that for me to give advice about parenting and all of that is I'm one step removed from it. But I think that's why I can give certain advice because I have this ability to step outside and look at it objectively and rationally. And my feeling is that all children are going to grow into people who are going to need to be able to take no for an answer and who are going to need to be able to say it confidently. So the more that you model that for your children from early on, the better they are going to be at it. The less difficult your life is going to be as you go on, because they will have learned how to take no for an answer from you and other people, and the better you're going to feel about their ability to make their own decisions with confidence and to stick to them. So I happen to have, I have a lot of little nieces and nephews. A lot of my friends have kids ranging in age from two years old to 12 years old. And I have never had a problem saying no to these kids. And I've never sent any of them running, crying back to their parents, (laughs) being upset about the way I said no to them because I talk to them in a rational way. I give them reasons why, and they take that in And they're, I think, going on and using it in their lives so that they can make their own future decisions and so that they can behave themselves when the answer is no and they don't like it. So again, I know that probably sounds facile to moms who are in the thick of it, but I have a little exercise in the book called What Would Sarah Knight Do?, which is, you know what, if you're having a really hard time saying no to your child, just pretend you're me channel me for a minute because I don't feel guilty about saying no to your child (laughs) and think about how you would say no if you were just saying no to a regular person who doesn't happen to be your baby and see if you can cough it up in the moment and then see what happens. And obviously it's going to take a little bit of adjusting for every parent-child relationship, but I do think that kids need to learn and they can learn it in the polite, honest way that I'm teaching you to do it in fuck no. They can learn that from you and then they can be able to go forth in the world and politely, honestly turn things down that they don't want to do. And everybody's going to be happier for it. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to need this book in 20 years. If we can model it, that's for sure. That was for sure. Right. One of the most helpful things that someone said to me, actually, because I've got a four-year-old. So, you know, I'm setting boundaries. I'm saying no. And she's reacting to that. She will throw herself mm-hmm. on the floor and scream, often in public. And I can't remember where I read it because I read so much. But 
You know, when you get on a fairground ride and they put the bar down, the first thing that everyone does is rattle the bar. Mm-hmm. But you're not rattling the bar in the hope that it flies open. You're rattling the bar to check that it's safe and secure. I don't know. There's something about that analogy that just really worked for me when I'm saying no to Jessie and putting a boundary down. I just think she's just rattling the bar. She wants to feel safe. She wants to know that this bar is not going to fly open, i.e. I'm not going to suddenly go, oh, okay, go on then. And that just... That is a great analogy. It just change things for me and so when she's on the floor screaming in the supermarket I think she's just rattling the bar I've just got to make sure that the bar stays down and safe and that really really helped me and you know Brené Brown talks about this a lot doesn't she but our children learn about boundaries from us so if we Mm -hmm. can't hold a boundary with them I don't want to send a teenager out into the world who can't say no that's my fear. I don't want that. I want Absolutely. That. And, and not having a child who, you know, I understand why a four-year-old would react by tantruming, mm. but you don't want to let them become an 11 and a 13 and a 16-year-old who reacts that way. My friend Holly is really fantastic at this with her son, whose name is Gus. From very early on, if he started to hyperventilate and react badly to being told no, she would say, no fussing, no fussing. And he would kind of look at her and eventually he would self-soothe. He would say to himself when he got into that state, he would say, no fussing, no fussing. And then he would just calm right down and then go on about his day. Because frankly, being told, no, I will not play checkers with you for the 14th time in a row is not a bad no to say to your child. (laughs) He's not hurting him by saying no to that. And he has to understand that when he's feeling devastated by this totally reasonable no, he has to calm himself down and say, why am I feeling this way? That's not appropriate. No fussing. I'm sure he's not thinking of it in quite those terms, but it really works. Mm, That's a really good one. Because the reality is, as we get into the world, the world is full of no's, isn't it? Of people saying no to us. You know, coming back, I love just thinking about just as people say no to us, we are able, capable, and in a way obliged to say no to others too. I love the book. I think it's so of the moment, as you say, it does feel like that to me. What I love so much about your work is how practical it is. And the whole second section of the book is all about some phrases that people can use. You give like actual examples of common objections to boundaries, how to hold Mm -hmm. them. It's just fantastic. It's such a useful resource. We can't go into it all now, but hopefully we've given people a flavour of the book and helped people just through this chat think about this in a different way. So at the end of every interview, I ask the same question, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers out there in the world, what would you give them and why? I would give them the gift of some alone time. Honestly, I would... Whenever my friends have had babies, I've always bought something off of their registry because I know they're lacking whatever these basic tools are that are required for children. But the more I see motherhood happening around me, the more I think that all a mom really wants and needs is an hour and a half to herself. And you can give that to somebody by babysitting, or you can give that to somebody by getting them a gift certificate to a massage parlor. You know, there are a lot of different ways to do it, but I think that all a mom really needs and wants is just a little bit of time to herself to regroup. Yes, you are absolutely spot on. And what an amazing <laughs> friend you must be to all your mums to know that and say, I'm not, I'm not going to buy you another 
toy I'm going to buy you an hour you know I'm going to gift you an hour where I'll watch the baby and you can go and rest that is or I'll let my husband watch your baby yeah <laughs> I'll give up an hour with him so that he can babysit for you nice that's your, I'm, not, I'm not that altruist that's your no I like it <laughs> well thank you so much it's been such a joy to chat to you I really appreciate you having me on and uh, you know hopefully we're spreading the good word to lots of people who need it we absolutely are thank you So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my program, which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.